Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It is so good to see you here today. Uh, you know, this is a joyous time. As I've often said, if it wouldn't have been a birth, it wouldn't have been a death. And without a death, we'd have no hope. So let's celebrate Christ. I want to read a card uh, that was given. Uh, actually, I got it this morning that was given to us. It said, Dear Pastor Chad, Pastor Just, Justin, and members of the Living Way Community Church, the Church of Faith, which that's the name of the Slavic Church it meets after we do, would like to say a heartfelt thank you for allowing us to share for one year now. For this past year, we are reminded that our church would not be able to grow without the service, kindness, and love you've shown to us. We cannot thank you enough for the support you've shown from time to time again. May God continue to bless you all and to all your family. Sincerely, the Church of Faith. I'm, I, you know... I'm going to tell you something. There's no greater blessing than being able to work partners with people who have the same goal, and that's to share the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're for. That's why we exist, for the glory of God and to share the good news of his son, Jesus Christ, that we all may be reconciled to him. Amen? So I want to share with you something this morning that may be a little different. Now, a lot of times it plays into the Christmas story. But since we've been in the book of Hebrews, we've been talking about that God is faithful to his promises, okay? That God is true to his word. He cannot be anything uh, contrary to it. And when I was thinking about the promises of God, this passage that really has spoken to me and has really been on my heart is a story of the three wise men, magi that we may uh, often call them. And if you would, I want to give you a perspective that maybe you've not heard, maybe some things that you have heard during this passage, but I want to give you five takeaways this morning from what God has written in this passage that is so applicable to us and to see that God is faithful in his promises. And if you have your Bibles, please stand with me as we read the word of God. If you do not, you can follow on the screen as we will be reading Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king. Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where is the Messiah was to be born. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, uh, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall be or shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. He's actually quoting from Micah chapter 2. Then Herod said, or Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he had sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the, after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy after coming, to the, after coming into the House, keep that in mind, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they prepared to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left 
for their own country by another way. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for all that you continue to do in our lives. Lord, we thank you most of all for your son Jesus, who went to Calvary and paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And God, as we celebrate this time of the year, many families and friends will come together. There will be many emotions as those will be happy, those will be sad, those will be lonely, those will be financially stressed. But Lord, our focus, regardless of any situation, should be on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, that we thank you continually for all that you have done. Lord, that you have saved us, that you have sustained us, and Lord, one day we'll be with you in eternity. And Lord, I thank you so much for the gift that you gave that, Lord, we could never have paid the price. We love you and thank you. And all God's people said, and you may be seated. Now, I'd like to go back through this text and give you a little bit of information to help you to understand where we are. As we look at the first part of this scripture, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, let me tell you a little bit about Herod. Now, Herod was known for two things. One, his architectural ability. He built Herod's temple. He, he had part of the Western Wall. I mean, the, the man was genius when it came to building things. But Herod was also known as one of the most ruthless leaders that you could ever imagine. You see, Herod, when uh, uh, a revolt broke out in Rome between Octavian and, 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 uh, and Mark Anthony, Mark Anthony had sided with Cleopatra, and Octavian, who was Augustus Caesar, had a conflict. Originally, Herod sided with Mark Antony and Cleopatra. But when Cleopatra and Mark Anthony got defeated, Herod switched sides and started supporting Octavian, which would be all called Augustus Caesar, which he would win a lot of favor with Augustus Caesar. Now take into consideration that Herod was not really a Jew. He was an Edomite. Now, if you know anything about Old Testament history, there were two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Esau, the brother who, who would go his own way, would have a lineage called the Edomites. So Herod was a descendant of the Edomites. Herod was not really liked by the people because he was ruthless. He was mean. Let me tell you what was said about him by Augustus Caesar. I would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. You see, Herod had three sons killed, two wives, and his mother-in-law. He was so bad that at the time of his death, they believed historically because of his symptoms that he died of stomach cancer. We don't know for sure. It's never written in history exactly what it was. But before he died, he rounded up as many Jews as he possibly could to kill them when he died. He said, nobody will mourn for me when I die, but they'll be mourning when I die. He said he would execute other people so people would cry. That's how wicked this man was. And in the days of Herod, while he was king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now Magi, we hear most often is called wise men, or the song have made them popular, we three kings of Orient are. They were not kings. They were men who were part of a group that were probably astronomers. They were soothsayers. They were magicians. They were people that was from the east that was far away. Now, this is where it gets beautiful to me. 
Now you will say, well, they're from the east, so if they're from the east and they see this star, where are they during this time? Now, take into consideration that most of your manger scenes, and I'm not getting on to you at your house, okay, and I'm not getting on to the kids' place, so don't hear what I'm saying, but let me show you something. You see these three guys here at the manger? These three guys were not there. They were over here. Now, I have not blasphemed this manger scene. But I want you to understand scripturally what's happening here. They were not at the birth of Jesus. They came later. The text will tell us in a few moments they entered into his house. You hear me? They enter into his house. As a matter of fact, we'll find out a little bit further that Herod would order the death of children two and older. Or two and younger, I'm sorry, two and younger. So here are these men from the east show up to Herod and said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now I'm going to make a great point with this in just a few minutes. But bear with me as we go through our Jeopardy knowledge, if you will. Now, his star. Now there's a lot of people that will say it was Jupiter and Mars lined up or it was some kind of celestial planet. We don't know. Here's the thing. When we don't know, let's not assume. Let the Bible speak for itself. What we do know is what they saw guided them in the direction they needed to go. Okay? So it's just like in the book of Numbers, fire by night. You know, I don't know how God did it, but they, we have said we have seen his star. So they knew what they were looking at. But look what he says. And we have come to worship him. Have you ever thought about this? They've come to worship him. Kings are man-made. To be a king, you must first be a prince. And then you become king after your turn. But they came to worship him. They knew that Jesus is worthy of worship whether he's a man or a child. He's worthy to be worshipped. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means two things. Number one, he, Herod was all about himself. Now, who's this person going to come in and tell me they're king? Then all of Jerusalem is troubled because not only are they not looking for the Messiah, they're scared of Herod. So think about this. So gathering together all the chief priests, scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, have you ever thought about this? Listen, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? But they went to Jerusalem to the palace. You see, these magi go looking to the palace for the king and thinking people might be excited that the king has come, but yet he don't find them that way, does he? You see, Bethlehem is about six miles from Jerusalem. It's not a very big town. It's actually a small town. Now, I'm going to make a comparison here that you may get. Some of you may not. If you're my age, you probably get it. If you went up 14 outside of Greer, they used to be a place called Tudor Town. You would drive by as you were entering Tudor Town, and you'd go about a tenth of a mile. You are now leaving Tudor Town. Now, I did that to make an illustration, to show you that it was just a small place on the road. It had no great significant value, but it had much value because our Savior was born there. But yet they go to the palace looking for a king because that's where man-made kings are. But he wasn't there. But they look for the king. This is gathering together all the chief priests and scribes and the people. He inquired 
the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet Micah. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people's or my people Israel. Isn't it amazing? He sought the religious. If he was truly the king of the Jews, as Herod was supposed to be, he would have known about this. But yet he searches all scripture or searches all the religious to find it in scripture. Then Herod secretly called the Magi, determined them exact where the star appeared, and they sent them out of Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. Now we know that's a lie. Because we read further in the text. He had no desire to worship Jesus. He had ever desire to kill him. Do you realize that Satan's always on attack? But let me assure you something and why I talk about the promises and how it relates to Hebrews. Because the same Jesus Christ that God has shown us in his Old Testament continues to show us today in his word. God does not fail on his promises. Go find him. And on hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. In other words, the guiding light guided them where they needed to go. Let's don't get caught up in what it was, but let's get it caught up in who showed it to them. Amen? For when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, you hear they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Oh, what worship. The child that could not even speak, that had not gone to the cross, they knew that they were to fall down and worship because Christ is worthy. They knew scripture. I'll get to that in just a few minutes. And then opening their treasures, they presented him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I've heard a lot of theologians and a lot of people would bring this up. Talk about the gold that was fit for the king, the frankincense for the high priest, and the myrrh for the embalming to show the high priest, the, the, the human side of Christ, and the king that is worthy of worship. But let me tell you something. Don't get caught up in the gifts. Get caught up on Christ, who's the giver. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Beautiful story. And I think sometimes when we read it, we read it just like the figurines that we've set up in our table. They're just part of the Christmas story. But let me tell you something. They're a greater part of the Christmas story, and we can learn so much from their message. You see, like I said, first thing we need to understand historically, that they were not at the manger scene, okay? They were these, they were traveling. But they were traveling, I want you to think about this, a long way. Men do not die for things they doubt. They do not search for things they doubt. They search for truth. And the truth was given to them. And I want, you, I want you to listen at the five takeaways I want to give you this morning. And I want you to listen to me real good. Number one, I'm getting wound up. God is faithful in his promises. So let me make a point with the first part of this chapter. How is he faithful? Do you realize, listen... That during the time of after Solomon died, the kingdom of Jerusalem split, or the kingdom of Israel split. Israel to the north, Judah to the south, okay? Now you had no good kings in the north. You only had a few good in the south. 
And in 586 B.C., Babylon would overthrow Jerusalem and take them into exile. While they were in exile, God's word still remained. And how is it that these men from the east knew about a king that they were to worship? Because God's word is faithful. His promises are faithful. I want you to understand, no matter what trial or tribulation, no matter whether it was through overcoming, no matter whether it was by invasion, no matter why it was takeover, no matter why it was for, God is faithful to his word. And the same promises could not be thwarted by man's events. God is in control. He promised, he promised that he would send one whose law would not be written in stone, but on men's hearts. These men were probably men who had heard this message that was far away. Isn't it amazing? I want to make two comparisons here. Isn't it amazing that here is Gentile people searching for a Savior when the Jews that are there amongst the Savior have to look to see who he is? Have you ever thought about that? He came first to the Jew. But they rejected the stone builder. They rejected him. And then he went to the Gentiles. God's word is for all people. And that same word that has transformed you today, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, transformed those men to have a desire to look for the Savior. That ought to bring you joy. Listen. God's faithful in his promises. Number two, Christ is an eternal king, not a man-made one. You see, I want you to understand that even here lately, 2,000 years later, the name of Jesus still intimidates people. You ever thought about that? Herod was intimidated. Who is this person that can call their self king? I got these people. They're mine. You see, Herod's sane perspective is just like every one of us pre-Jesus. It's my way. It's my way. I do as I please because that's who I am. Let me tell you something. He was man-made. Christ is eternal. And the problem and why Jesus still intimidates people because people left in their own sin don't like any authority. But Christ is above all. And he wasn't made or appointed by men. He has always been and will always be. He left the splendor of heaven, heaven for you and for me. And he paid the price. You see, kings, as I spoke a little earlier, have to wait their time. But Jesus has always been king. And the true recognition of the wise men to seek him because they knew this. How did they know it? Because they heard the word of God. The word of God still changes people's brothers and sisters. Please listen to me. And God is faithful in his promises. The same word of God that told the Jews in Hebrews that you hold fast to the faith that you possess because he that promised is faithful is the same God that told the exiles there's coming a day and there's coming a Savior. Look to him. 
believe me, for I am faithful in my promises. God is still God. Amen? And he's still faithful. Number three, please write this down if you don't hear another word I say. Being religious doesn't make you righteous. Being religious does not make you righteous. Here you have the keepers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. And yet they couldn't see the trees for the forest. Have you thought about that? Their Savior was among them. And that they were blind to see. And they have to search. But yet you have men who have been touched by God through his transforming word to seek that which was righteous. And where they should have been a celebration at the birth of the prophesied scriptures, there was not. And even the religious was searching with Herod. Just because you wear the cloak, just because you wear the hat, doesn't make you a priest. Just because you say the name, just because you wear the t-shirt, don't make you a Christian. See, Christ did not come to make bad men good. We've been talking about this in Sunday school. This is a point that everybody needs to hear. Your good does not outweigh your bad. Isaiah tells us very clear that our righteousness is but filthy rags. It does not outweigh. I cannot do enough good to be reconciled with the Father. Because I am a depraved human being. Sin affects the whole aspect of my being. No matter how hard I try, I cannot work myself to Jesus. You can't either. You cannot do enough. See, that was the problem with the religious. The religious religion is man rules. Religion says do. Christ says done. Religion says slave. Christ says son. You see, the religious were trying to do things to make themselves righteous. We are what we are because we're not righteous. And Christ, though we are unworthy, made us worthy through His blood. And because so many people think that you can do good and work your way to Christ... They die separated from God. But just like these men, and everybody always says three, we don't know if there's three, there's probably a whole sack full. Let's just be honest, there were three gifts. We don't know that there were three, there were three gifts. But listen to me. Something worked in those men's lives to seek Christ. Understand, if you seek him, you were first sought by him. His word changes lives. And they sought him. And let me tell you something. If Jesus is working in your heart and you're questioning and you're wanting to know, you keep looking. And I promise you that if he is on your heart and you trust in him with all aspect of your being, he will change you and he will give you a new nature. Only Christ can change. Do you know him? But most importantly, does he know you? Being religious does not make you righteous. I also think it very interesting that as Jesus began to grow, 
He astonished people. He astonished the religious. You see, he broke the norm. You see, Jesus would address the condition of the heart. You see, in their religious pharisaical mind, what they believed is their sinfulness was something that they do. In other words, man, I don't murder somebody, I physically do it. But Jesus would change things. That everything that you do is because of the condition of your heart. It's not your acts, it's what's here that produce your acts. And he changes lives. Number four, don't get caught up again in the gifts. You see, here's the thing. We can try to make all the theology out of the gifts and what they're representation of. And I'm not saying they're inaccurate because those things that's been applied to them, they are true. However, I want you to understand that these men did not go to Christ to get something. They went to give. Do you see? A follower of Christ is not in a relationship to say, Jesus, I'll follow you if you'll do this. If you'll get me out of this. See, that's called bargaining. How many times in your life, even your prayer, God, if you'll get through this, get me through this, I'll, I'll do better. I'll never miss a day of church. I'll be nice to my neighbors. You have that Scrooge moment. What day is it? And we think that by certain things that we do or by making a bargain with God makes us righteous. Jesus Christ alone is worthy of worship regardless. And they went getting him gifts not to get something in return. I want you to think about the value of what they gave. You see, when you serve Christ, it's given 100% of your being. It's given everything. You don't give to get. We've been talking about this. We've been going through a series of giving. You don't do this in order to get something back. You do it to support the ministry and the mission of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. And as them going, they're worshiping him as king. Used to, when people from foreign lands, they would come to see a king. They would bring him a gift of their land. That was customary. They brought a baby gifts of great, of great monetary value to show them that their heart was sold to the true king. There's a big difference. You don't give to get. Number five. Listen to me. You have to see three perspectives. And I'm going to give you the three. But you have to see three perspectives. Number one, and how do you see these perspectives applicable to your lives? Are you, do you have, number one, the mind and hatred of a king? Chad, Christmas is all about me. Now, all of us know that at Christmas time, we worry whether somebody's going to like our gifts or not. You know what I'm talking about. I wonder if they'll like it. Is it going to be re-gifted to me next year? Been there, done that. Did I spend enough money? Am I in enough debt? What am I going to do next month? Are they going to be mad at me? And I used this illustration this morning. Remember the movie, A Christmas Story, The Little Boy and the Baby Gun? Remember how much he pouted? 
because he didn't get what he wanted until the end, then he was happy? You see, when Christmas is about things, we're like Herod. It's about me. You see, I often find it, just like I often quote from, the, uh, from Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, the eye is never satisfied with seeing nor the ear hearing. What we have will always want more. And you know as well as, you, as well as I, I don't know if anybody's done it, you spend that $600 on that toy, they'll be playing with a box by the end of the day tomorrow. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with buying people. Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? But what I want you to hear, it's not about what you give somebody. It's not about how much you spend making somebody happy. The point of Christmas is to worship in the glory of Jesus Christ. For he alone is worthy. You know, I'll go back to uh, peanuts. Remember the peanuts? Well, little Charlie, but lights, please. Remember that? And how they were in the 60s when they were created, in the 60s. This has been 50, almost 60 years ago. That they were talking about the commercialization of Christmas. Go back and watch it. It's come so commercialized. And he sees that little wimpy tree and he buys it. Remember, it's a cool little story. But it's gotten worse. Christmas has become about what I can get instead of what I can give to the Savior who saved my soul. And that's the perspective of Herod. There's nobody worthy to be served but me. And I don't like it. Well, the other perspective, the blindness of the religious Jews. They know that they're around Christmas. They've heard the word. They've read the scripture. But yet, their religious actions have hindered their righteousness. You see, coming to church on Sundays and coming to church on Christmas and coming to church on Easter and coming to church every day does not make you a Christian. I have said this many, many times that there are many blind people. I can take the most evil man you know and put him in a suit and put a Bible under his arm and set him on that front pew and he'll still go to hell. Your eyes must be open to the Savior. It's not about what I can do. It's not about what I've done, but what Christ has done on the cross and has done in me. Or the fourth, third perspective. Are your eyes open like the humble Gentiles? That hear the Scripture and respond to it. That knew the whole focus of Christmas was on the Savior. And see, I pray that that's you today. And don't get me wrong, you celebrate with your family, you exchange yes, praise God for it. But take a few minutes of your day to thank the one who went to cross in Calvary for you. I was sharing this morning in Sunday school, one of the sweetest songs I've ever heard in my life was by Jim Cimbala's church. I was asking how many people knew Jim Cimbala. If you don't know Jim Cimbala, he was the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And years ago, the children's choir had a song called Happy Birthday, Jesus. It says, the presents are nice, but the real gift is you. I pray today and tomorrow that as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, that forget the colloquial saying or remember the reason for the season. You thank Jesus 
Because if you didn't get anything material on this earth, Christ is still worthy to be praised. Because I think about this. Over the years, I've gotten some great gifts. And I'm thankful for everything that anybody's ever given me. And I mean that. But the thing about materialism is one day either somebody else will have it or it will be destroyed and go away. The house that I own, somebody else will own. My car will either go to a junkyard or somebody else will have it. All my things that I held so dear to me in this life, somebody else will have. And we'll pass it on to somebody else or sell it. Or it may end up in a pawn shop, I don't know. But the gift that I have through Jesus Christ, moth or rust cannot destroy. Because it's not built on human hands, but built on the foundation of God Almighty. And he's worthy to be praised. So I give you those three perspectives. I want you to listen. I want to go a little further with the text. You see, after they had presented the gifts, listen, and this is not on the screen, but listen. Now when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod, and this was fulfilled. It had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of the Egypt I have called my son. Years ago, it's one of my favorite songs in the world, was written by Rich Mullins. He said, Joseph took his wife and a child and they went to Africa to escape the rage of a deadly king. And Jesus grew up on the banks of the Nile listening to the song that the Hebrew children used to sing. My deliverer is coming. And I used to listen to that song and said, I don't understand. What does he mean by that? What does he mean? My deliverance is coming from this passage here. That they went to Egypt until Herod died because he ruthlessly murdered the little boys. In the same place where the Hebrews were captive and God sent Moses to rescue his people, God, through his son Jesus Christ, sent his son to rescue have you ever thought about that I'm going to give you a six point God provided for Mary and Joseph to go to Egypt do you know how much travel gold and frankincense and myrrh would give have you ever thought about that God provided them what they needed when they needed it and I honestly believe that as born again believers in Jesus Christ God gives us what we need. And his promises are true. And I want to encourage you this morning to look at the blessings that you have. And I know some of you even today are lonely. Some of you have experienced death. Some of you may be going through financial hard times. Some of you might be saying, is my gift going to add up? 
is anybody going to care? Will anybody invite me over to eat? Am I going to be fellowshipping or I may be alone? Let me tell you something. You are never alone in Jesus Christ. And I am convinced of this. Listen to me. That as a follower of Jesus Christ, I lost everything on this earth. He's still worth it. And he's still worthy. And I want to pray, through, I want to pray today. And I want everybody to focus on what Christ has done in their life. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray that you call upon his name. I pray that if you are here today and say, Chad, I just don't know. Do not be like Herod. It's about me. Have your eyes open to the word of God for he that promised is faithful and he's true and he will save you. The Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you are saved, you say, Chad, everything's getting me down. Been there, done that. I promise. But when I take and I reflect and I look at my life and see what Christ has done to me, he gives me a very clear vision that this world is not my home. I'm here for a while. Maybe 55 years, maybe 70, maybe tomorrow, and that'll be it. I don't know. But I know eternity's forever. And he said, for where I am there, you may be also. Take comfort in that. Brothers and sisters, I love you. And I know I've given you an interesting Christmas story to ponder. But I want you to think and ponder in your minds how great of worth you are because of Calvary. In your unworthiness, while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And he's worth celebrating. Amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for, again, the price paid on Calvary. I thank you for all that you continue to do. God, I pray that lives would be changed God, I pray that our focus on you would not end at midnight tomorrow night, but that we celebrate your birth and we celebrate your death every day. And we thank you for the hope. God, I don't know what people are going through this morning. I have no clue. I can only relate to me unless somebody's told me something. But God, what I do know is you're all-powerful, all-knowing. You're omnipotent, you're omniscient, you're omnipresent, which means you are in control and you know all things. You know every hair on our head. And God, I pray that everybody that is struggling, whatever it may be, or whether they're rejoicing, that God, you are their focus. God, I pray as we leave this place today that there would be an urgency and a fire that would ignite under our hearts, in our hearts, to share the good news, the life-changing news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise your name. And all God's people said, please stand and sing with us.